0: fire up a cigar, and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave.
1: If it wasn't for National Bourbon Heritage Month and this magnificent-looking bottle of Florida double cask bourbon from the St. Augustine Distillery that has just been released, I would be apoplectic. I would be, my blood pressure, actually, my blood pressure is normal now. But when my Buffalo Bills were getting whacked by the New York Jets, formerly the New York Titans, my blood pressure, actually it peaked at 750 over 685. And my pulse rate went to about 410. Watching that atrocity, absolutely. If I was on Dr. Oz, he would have said, go check into the hospital immediately. The Buffalo Bills are not good for my blood pressure. They are not good for any Buffalo Bills fan's mental health. But I'll tell you what is. Two hours of alpha male pleasure maneuvers. Long-ass greetings and salutations. A long-ass snappy salute. Semper delictatio. Always pleasure. The Global General, Global Alpha Male Front and Center from Humidor 1A Command Center Alpha. And we welcome you as always. If you care to uh, email me electronically, CigarDave at CigarDave.com. Follow me at social media, at Cigar Dave Show for Twitter, Facebook.com, slash Cigar Dave, Cigar Dave for Instagram. And everything is right at CigarDave.com. You can follow us along very easily. It is tough. I'm telling you, it's it's tough being a cigar connoisseur right now with all the nonsensical FDA regulation that is going on. It is tough being an alpha male. Well, not really for us, because as alpha males, we have giant nads of steel, so it's not that tough. But it can be challenging in that we've got all these wussified betas that are all over the place. We've got we've got the feminist movement that wants us all to put our head between our tails and walk around like little wussified betas. That's not going to happen. It's tough because we've got the food and enemies of pleasure, the food police enemies of pleasure all over us. It is not easy to enjoy alpha male good life maneuvers, but I will make sure that we make it easy for the next few hours. Now, I am staring, as I mentioned, at a magnificent-looking bottle, brand new from St. Augustine Distillery, the Florida Double Cask Bourbon, just released last week. Limited number. Now, in the second hour, the entire hour, we will spend with the co-founder of St. Augustine Distillery, and the CEO, Phil McDaniel. We will spend the entire hour with him. You know, for National Bourbon Heritage Month, we also celebrate American whiskeys, American distilleries. Last week, we had Luke Davidson from Maincraft Distilling. I paid an on-premise visit and had a great opportunity to spend with him. If you have not listened to that, Go to CigarDave.com. We've got a special Bourbon Heritage Month page set up, and you can listen to all of the interviews. And they are really fascinating in-depth. So we will talk with Phil McDaniel of St. Augustine Distillery, this Florida double-cast bourbon they've been working on. Three years they laid it down, and it's finally been released. This is their first bourbon whiskey release. The bottle is magnificent. Almost looks like a Maker's uh, uh, Mark 46 bottle but has a magnificent hologram behind it showing the Ice Factory, which is where the distillery is located in historic St. Augustine, America's oldest city. And I'm just looking at this bottle. Mm, I'm touching it. You can hear it solid right on on my special glass desk here, and I cannot wait to get a hold of it. I'm going to have to stare at it for the next hour until we get ready to conduct tasting maneuvers. Next week, we'll be doing our annual Bourbon Heritage Month Bourbon and American whiskey tasting with Sommelier Dave. That will take place uh, two hours, and we will get a list of all the bourbons and American whiskeys. We'll post that probably by Tuesday at CigarDave.com and on social media, so you can follow along with us and taste. If you want to buy, I think we're going to have maybe about a dozen or so different spirits. You can follow along, buy one, buy two, buy all twelve, but you're going to want to follow along. I said to you that it is very difficult to be an alpha male. Now, for us. It's difficult, but we handle it no problem. Why? Because we're alpha males. We don't let anybody get in our way. We don't let the feminists get in our way. We do not allow any of these people that want us to be wussified get in the way. We just plow right through them. That's what an alpha male does. An alpha takes control, seizes the situation. While others may look and say, ooh, this this is a scary situation. An alpha looks and says, bring it on, baby. I'm ready for the confrontation because I'm going to run through them like crap through a goose, just the way General George S. Patton. Stated that. Well, this week, while filling in for her big mama, Hillary Clinton, while she was recuperating from pneumonia, Chelsea Clinton, who, by the way, has the personality of this glass desk. None. Well, I shouldn't say that. This glass desk that I have actually is a nice frosted frosted uh, uh, teal desk. Actually, does have a lot of personality, so I stand corrected. She's got the personality of the floor. I got a stone floor underneath uh, my desk here. She's got the personality of a stone floor. Not warm, didn't get anything in the looks department. You know, looks like Bill and Hillary, what can I say? Oh, and for you feminists that want to come after me because I made a derisive, divisive, and derogatory remark, come on over, no problem. I'll have you on any time. Let's go at it, because I will wallop you into oblivion. I don't backtrack, I don't apologize. We're not politically correct here on The Cigar Dave Show. Chelsea Clinton at a campaign event filling in for Mother in Winston-Salem, North Carolina on Tuesday ended up taking questions from the audience. And I want you to listen to the first question. It came from a male. And I'm going to use that term very, very loosely. Take a listen.
2: Yeah, I, I saw your hand first, so yes, hello. And, and maybe just sh- share your name and...
1: Y- yes, ma'am.
2: Um, oh, gosh, you called yes, me ma'am. ma'am. That makes me feel I'm so... so no, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. You know nothing. You know nothing. Um,
3: Well, first off, I would like to state that this is a wonderful idea and sorry that the first person to get the mic is a man. I do apologize (laughs) for that. I do think it's important to encourage his voices in every act of life.
1: I don't think he's a man. He's definitely a wussified beta, but I'm not sure he's of the male species. Uh, first of all, this is a wonderful idea. I'm sorry that I'm the first person to get the mic as a man. Let me apologize. Let me apologize for being a man. Let me apologize for being for, for just existing. Let, let me put my head between my tail and, and, and let me stick it up my ass because basically, I want to be a woman. Now, listening to that sends shivers down the spine of all alphas. This is the next generation. Not everyone, but many of them. I mean, how pathetic did that, I'm not even going to use the word man, that beta, that beta species, how pathetic did he sound? Why do you apologize because you're a man asking the first question? I would never do that. I don't care if I was at a feminist uh, seminar. If I was asked, I wouldn't say, oh, ladies, those of you with goatees and 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 mustaches and facial hair, more facial hair than I do. For those of you feminists that are wearing skirts and I can see all your leg hair, let me apologize for being a man asking the first question. I would never do that. Why do people feel the need to apologize all the time? we got to apologize for everything. You say something, oh, he better apologize. Screw that. I never apologize. If somebody's offended, too damn bad. I don't give a damn if I microaggress somebody. And most of the time when you microaggress somebody, it's because they're a bunch of little pansy-ass little wussies. I mean, th- everything you say today can be mis- misconstrued. You know, we saw earlier this week that uh, that Donald Trump, you either Eric Trump or Donald Trump Jr. said, you know, if, if, if uh, Republicans did that, they'd be sent to the gas chamber. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, he used a Holocaust reference? No. No, it's a figure of speech. If he would have said, you know, He'd be hung. He'd be sent to the electric chair. They'd they'd have convulsions. Do we have to look at every single statement on a micro basis and nitpick it to death? Hell no. But this is what we are dealing with. This is a perfect example of a wussified beta. And I'm not going to use the term beta male, but he apologizing. I think it's important to encourage women's voices. That's great. Women have plenty of voice right now. The problem is, those of us that are alpha males, we don't have the voices. Why? Because every single male, from the time they come out of the womb, are made to feel guilty about being of the male species. That is fact. It's been going on for 40, 50 years. I don't apologize for being a male. I don't apologize for having raging amounts of testosterone flowing through my bloodstream. I don't apologize for being opinionated. I don't apologize for not being afraid to be confrontational in situations which require the use of my superior alpha male skills. I don't apologize for any of that, and neither should you, and neither should any other male. But this is what we see now. Now, again, I don't want to call this person a male. Sergeant Steve, do me a favor. Let, let's let's hear that one more time. I want, to, I want you to hear, you tell me if this sounds like an, a male or an alpha male. Let's hear it one more time. Yeah,
2: I, I saw your hand first, so yes, hello, and, and maybe just sh- share your name and.
1: Y- yes, ma'am. <laughs> oh um,
2: gosh, you called yes, me ma'am. ma'am. That makes me feel I'm so. so no, I'm so sorry. No,
3: no, it's okay. It's okay.
1: Apologizing already. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, first off,
3: I would like to state that this is a wonderful idea, and sorry that the first person to get the mic is a man. I... All right, stop
1: it right there. I've heard enough. Does he sound like a like a, a, a not a beta man? He sounds like a beta. Period. But it doesn't sound like he's part of the male species to me. So I want to be politically correct. I have gone to the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Resource Center. Who am I kidding? I don't want to be politically correct. No way. By the way, LGBT. People think it stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender. No, actually, I've got several different acronyms that I've made up, but words that I would use. LGBT in my book could be lovely, Gargantuan, bodacious, t- It could be luscious, gigantic, big T-bone. Libations, grilling, boobs, tomahawk chops, that is. LGBT. I've got different connotations than lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. So I went to the resource center. Now, it says the pronouns. What if somebody, gender-neutral, gender-inclusive pronouns? Because... There are people who do not associate a gender with the individual being discussed. So, for example, that beta, I don't consider him to be a beta male. I mean, he is so way past being a beta male, it's it's lost. So he's kind of like gender neutral. So what do you call somebody that's a him or a her? It's Zim, C, that's S-I-E, M, Ver, Ter, M. Now listen to this. So if he were referring to, like, himself, which is how you and I would say, like if somebody said... Uh, you know, uh, let, let me refer to myself about this particular issue. No, no, no. When it comes to LGBT gender neutral, no. It's either Z self, herself, which is H I R, ear self, E I R S E L F, verself, ter self, herself, or M self. How about this is totally whacked and screwed self? This is absurd. But this kid does not represent the male species. In fact, I think he may be more happy being a female, being a woman. And if you know what? If he wants to change his gender, great. And he apologizes for saying the word ma'am, being polite to someone. Again, we live in a society where you say good morning to someone and they go, I'm offended. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me apologize for that. To you alphas out there, you say something, stand by it. Don't apologize. Somebody's offended, too bad. Don't apologize. Unless you make an egregious error, Then apologize. If I screw up, I'm like, oh, you know, sorry, I screwed up. No problem. And Alpha can handle that. But I don't apologize at the slightest thing. If somebody's offended because I say, you know, that dress looks great on you. I love those shoes. Or how are we doing this morning to all of you lovely ladies? And they say, oh, I'm offended. And by the way, nobody's ever said that to me. They love it. They love when I compliment them on their shoes. Uh, Or just this morning when I was walking into my office, one of our receptionists Changed her hairstyle, changed the color. And I looked and I said, I like the new color, like the new do." And she goes, oh, thanks, you noticed. I go, I sure did. I like it. He goes, well, thank you. She didn't say, that is offensive. You need to apologize to me. And even if she looked and said, you know, I'm kind of offended that you just, all you do is look at my hair and just it's just my looks and not my brain, I'd say, too effing bad, and walk back up to my office. Enough with the apologies. Lieutenants, we shall continue. We celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. And when we come back, we'll tell you about a, a basketball coach whose lessons I think are appropriate during this time of disrespect to the national anthem and to our flag. We will continue front and center on the Cigar Dave Show where no apologies are ever expected
0: if you miss any of the general show you can catch up anytime with the cigar dave mobile app presented by diamond crown listen to the most recent show simply by opening the app with our continuous replay or you can download a podcast of a past show search cigar dave in the app store to get it
3: I know everybody's familiar with the 95 rated Decade, one of the finest cigars ever made and produced by Rocky Patel. Well, he outdid himself. I'm here to introduce a new Decade Cameroon. It's got a beautiful African Cameroon wrapper on it. And when you put this wrapper with the wonderful blend of the Decade cigar, it just takes it to another level. You get that little sweetness on the back of your palate. You get the cedar, the hickory notes with a little bit of spice, You know what I want to do? I want to just sit in my backyard or on my patio or a bar stool and enjoy this cigar. You can take it all the way down. I tell you, Rocky, you outdid yourself on this one. And if you haven't tried it, it's going to be at your local retail store. Go get yourself one. You won't be disappointed because this cigar, man, does it smoke great.
2: This is Phil McDaniel, CEO of St. Augustine Distillery. To celebrate Bourbon Heritage Month, we have released our new Florida double-cast bourbon, and we'll talk about it next hour only on the Cigar
1: Date Show. I am looking at it right now. I'm caressing it in my hot little hands. I'm bringing it next to my cheek. Oh, just looking at this beautiful caramel, brown, golden hue color to it. I am sure this is going to taste as magnificent as it looks in the packaging. Absolutely fantastic. Interesting, 93.8 proof. Not 94, not 93, 93 93.8. So we will talk to Phil about that as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. Now, we've seen Colin Kaepernick, the big ruckus he's made, kneeling, saying that uh, he can't uh, support and, and, and pay tribute to a country that keeps people down and so on and so forth. We've heard all this stuff for the last umpteen weeks. All I can say is, you want to keep me on a slave plantation mentality for $16 million a year? Be my guest. I'll be more than happy to be offended. Any country that pays somebody to throw a ball or to sit on a bench $16 million, what a damn great country. Is it perfect? Nope. When issues arise, should they be addressed? You damn better believe it. But there are better ways that he could address it. In fact, why doesn't he go out on his days off and work in the community? Why does he get together with law enforcement and say, I'm going to sponsor and create something, a forum where we can all talk to make sure that the police, the black community, other minority communities can all work together? Better understanding. Why not do that? But instead, he's not lifting a finger. In fact, he's just sitting on his knee. Well, I thought this was appropriate because... Buzz Williams, the coach of Virginia Tech basketball, two years ago when he took over, one of the first things he did, he printed out the lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner, read them aloud to his team until every player could recite them. Well, last November, before the regular season started, he invited a group of military veterans, about 20, 25 military veterans, and there was a row of empty chairs in front of the bench. Invited them to the stadium and talk to his players about the sacrifice they made. I want you to listen to this. Maybe Colin Kaepernick ought to listen very closely. We
4: didn't earn those chairs. Your talent didn't earn those chairs. How tall you are, how fast you run, how well you shoot, didn't earn those chairs. Me draw up a play, me recruit real hard, me work real hard. I didn't earn the chair. These guys, when they were your age, interrupted their life. They paused their education. They changed their career. And they gave their life for those chairs. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Not us not us and so when the anthem is played we're going to stand like grown men and we're going to honor men like this that gave their life so we could have a chair to sit in and in the two and a half minutes that the song was played and somebody sings it or the music is played we're going to stand at attention and honor of these men and we're not going to sway back and forth, we're not messing with our short, we're not messing with our jersey. Those two and a half minutes, we're gonna give to the people that earn these chairs. Because that freedom allows us to do what we're doing. I don't care if you have seen, but I want you to know the words. And I want you to be respectful of the words. Because those words represent people's lives. When we stand, we're going to put our right hand over our heart and our left hand behind our back, and we're not moving. And we're not looking down, and we're not swaying. We're standing still with perfect body language. And all that we're thinking about is these men who earned the right for these chairs to be
1: here. Bravo to Virginia Tech coach Buzz Williams. And uh, Colin Kaepernick, take note. You could learn from what he just said. Litation is next.
0: The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is an Alec Bradley sampler, including the Alec Bradley Nika Puro 1685. This medium to full-bodied cigar is rich, deep, and well-balanced for a true taste of Nicaragua. The Alec Bradley Nika Puro 1685 is an exquisite Nicaraguan stick. Not a member of the Officers Club? Get these premium cigars shipped directly to you every month by signing up today at CigarDave.com.
5: Hi, this is Rocky Patel. I'm here with my brother Nish and my cousin Nimish, and we're talking cigars. Guess what? They want me to vote on what my favorite cigars. It's tough, but I'm gonna go with the decade. I love it. It's rich, decadent and smooth. Rocky? You know what? The Decade's
3: a great cigar, but the 15th anniversary, that's the cigar. That celebrated your 15 years in business, and I got to tell you, it's my favorite.
5: You know what, Nish and Rocky? You both are wrong. The best cigar is Freedom by Rocky Patel. This cigar delivers a lot of spice, a lot of flavor, and in my opinion, it's the best cigar we make. As usual, we can't agree, but guess what? There's a great cigar for everyone. I promise you. Nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com.
0: Surgeon General warning, cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy. It's time for National Cigar
1: Litation Maneuvers. Well, I have pulled out the Ipicario Cardinal Maduro for two reasons. First, because it's going to pair beautifully with any bourbon I select. And I've selected a special libation to enjoy. And I'm sure it will go beautifully with my St. Augustine, Florida double cast bourbon that I will sample in the next hour. Bottle has not been opened. It is magnificent. Tweeted out a picture yesterday. More pictures to come today. So the E.P. Cario Cardinal. That's the first reason. The second is because... As a Buffalo Bills fan, a long-suffering Buffalo Bills fan, no playoffs for the last 16, make it 17 years after this season, hoping we go 0-16 because we need to clean out everybody from Russ Brandon, the CEO who's been part of the problem, been there during every all the problem. I know people say Russ is great, and he is, good guy, but he's been there for all the nonsense. Doug Whaley, the general manager, Jim Manos, the uh, director of player personnel, Rex, Ryan, the entire coaching staff, got to go. Jim Overdorf, VP of football. Administration. I can go on and on. In fact, I would get rid of Scott Berkthold, the, the VP of uh, PR and, and media relations. He's been there, part of the problem. Bud Carpenter, the trainer, part of the problem. You can tell, lieutenants, I'm pretty damn pissed because it is pathetic. So why do I bring up the E.P. Carrillo Cardinal? Because the... Arizona Cardinals play the Bills next week. And I watched an interesting documentary on the Arizona Cardinals. When I was up in Buffalo after the Alpha Pleasure Fest, I ended up watching, I'm not sure, I'm trying to remember whether it was on YouTube. No, it was not on YouTube. It was called All or Nothing. It was on Amazon. And that is exactly what I decided that I would watch. So I watched it and I became a huge Bruce Arians fan, a big Bruce Arians fan, like what he's doing with the team. So if I can't root for the Bills, I'm going to root for the Cardinals, although at times their quarterback will drive you crazy. But I'm rooting for them, and I want the Bills to go 0-16, get the first draft choice, let the Pagulas absolutely whack the entire football operation. So I pulled out the E.P. Carillo Cardinal. Let me tell you about this magnificent-looking cigar. Just a beautiful-looking stick, nice Connecticut broadleaf wrapper, lots of tooth to the wrapper, very hearty-looking wrapper. There's no question about it. Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. Just a beautiful, just a a great-looking cigar in hand. Nice matchup against the bourbon that I've selected for this hour. A lot of flavor to this particular cigar, and E.P. Carrillo named this cigar for his son, who went E.P. Carillo III, who went to Stanford University, the Stanford Cardinal, nice red band. So that's what I will enjoy today. About an eight-dollar cigar comes in three different sizes. I pulled out the Toro, which of course is my favorite single size, followed by a nice little Corona. But six by fifty-four, six inches in length, fifty-four ring gauge, about eight bucks. Can't go wrong. I'll tell you, E.P. Carillo. We featured many of his cigars at the Officers' Club. You can never go wrong. Not only is he a great cigar blender and cigar master. He's a great gentleman as well, as well as uh, his daughter, Lizette, who runs the company. And just overall, a beautiful cigar at a great price point. You cannot go wrong. And that's what I will enjoy today. My Epicario Cardinal Series Maduro.
0: Cigar altering and highly sharpened leaf exposing device.
1: Well, I have got my self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready to whack the head of this cigar, and I would like to take this guillotine and give it to Terry and Kim Pagula and let them whack the entire football operations department and some most of the front office at 1 Bills Drive. I think this, and by the way, I know Terry Pagula loves cigars, so he could take one of these cutters and just start just cutting his way to whacking everybody in that front office so that we can create a new optimistic day and a new era for Buffalo Bills fans worldwide
0: maximum BTU flame throwing and heat producing apparatus
1: now if that guillotine does not work you can take this beautiful torch this is I call this the grenade from the Cigar Dave Research and Development Laboratory giant flame goes about three feet no not three feet who am I kidding I'm exaggerating all right maybe it goes out about four inches but Terry and Kim Pagula, if the guillotine doesn't work to whack the entire front office at One Bill's Drive, I'll tell you what would work. Take this torch and light a torch to the entire front office. Torch the offices. Torch the people in it. Get rid of them. Fire them all. Clean out the office. You know what I would do? I would call a disinfectant agency, somebody that disinfects, gets rid of the germs because the losing germs have infested One Bill's Drive and that entire Football Operations and Administrative Department, and I would clean it, disinfect it, all traces of Rex Ryan, Rob Ryan, Doug Whaley, Jim Manos, Jim Overdorf, Bud Carpenter, Scott Berktold. The list can go on and on and on. The Buffalo loser bills is what they are. And by the way, as much as I like... uh, Doug Br- uh, or uh, Russ Brandon, the CEO, he's a cigar connoisseur, he's a good guy. But he's been there for part of the problem, and he was high-fiving in the draft room when they were celebrating, trading up, and giving up two first-round picks for Sammy Watkins, who has been an absolute bust. And he was part of the problem. He was uh, high-fiving. He was in on it. Get rid of him, too. Enough is enough. And Terry or Kim, if you're listening, because I know Terry listens to WBEN and WGR frequently. Do yourself a favor. Don't make the same mistake that you you, you made on the Sabres. You waited too long. At the end of this season, let's go 0-16, get rid of them all, and let's build from the beginning. It's going to take a few years, but it's worth it. Get rid of these clowns. They are absolute yo-yos. Get rid of them, whack them, and send them on their way. Call them a one-way ticket. Give them a one-way ticket for a, a Trip out of town, never to be seen or heard from again. Six Cigar
0: pre-htation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one.
1: Here comes the cut. Perfect cut. By the way, you'd never you'd never know that I'm angry in any way, shape, or form about the current state of the Buffalo Bills. Never think I'd be a diehard fan. By the way, I just uh, just describe what needs to be done, the purge that needs to take place at One Bill's Drive. But you know what, lieutenants? If you're an alpha male, you have passion. You show me someone that doesn't have passion, and I will show you a loser every single time. You gotta have passion about your work. You gotta have passion about your play. You gotta have passion about your harem, your dames. You gotta have passion about your your hobbies, whether it's cigars, whether it's golf, whether it's flying, whether it's libations. You gotta have passion in life. Period. You don't have passion? Check out, because that's what it's all about. And I am proud that this five star has passion in anything I do, including being a diehard Bills fan. And I know I spoke. I speak for. Tens of millions of people worldwide, we're embarrassed by the state of that team. And we support them. We buy the merchandise. We believe every year we buy the tickets. We follow the team. It's time for ownership to return the favor. And by the way, let me make this very clear as I toast the foot of this cigar. I want to make this very, very clear. Kim and Terry Pagula. I don't necessarily blame... Well, to a degree, I do blame them because they could have had the chance to make a clean start, and they did. But let me tell you something about them. They're people with integrity. I know people that work for them. I've met Terry Pagouli. He's a cigar connoisseur. And I can tell you, everybody I've talked to said they are people of high integrity, upstanding. You shake their hand, that's it. They're honest as the day is long. They, they are committed to the team. They're committed to the area. So I have to give them credit because in no way, shape, or form am I... Am I slandering them in any way, shape? You know, I think they wanted stability. They wanted the team. They said, look, there have been enough changes. Maybe we're on the right track. Well, clearly they're not. I do blame them for hiring Rex. Big mistake. But in terms of their honesty, their integrity, their commitment, they're great folks. So, Lieutenant says, I like this cigar. I will say to you that my blood pressure now is getting back to normal. It did not hit the high of, like, 750 over 690 when I was watching the game. I think right now, let me let me just take my blood pressure. Yep, not bad. 340 over, over 290. So not bad. It's coming down. Let me puff and rotate here. I'll tell you, I really got to get over my shyness and, and, and my inability to state my opinion succinctly and without any encumbrance. Okay, great cigar. Mm. Cigar is evenly lit without any further delay. Scotch,
0: bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers.
1: All right, I have my Glencairn tasting glass, and I have pulled out. I was talking about Maker's 46, saying that the St. Augustine Distillery Florida double-cast Bourbon reminds me of the Maker's 46. It sure does. So I pulled out a bottle of Maker's 46. Wonderful aroma. I'm going to pour a little bit in here. Very nice. Put this back. Let's talk about the Maker's 46. It is regular Maker's Mark, no age statement on the bottle, but aged for about six years. But what makes this unique is that it is finished in a secondary uh, aging with French oak staves. Why do they call it 46? Because 46 staves are seared or heavily toasted. They're not charred. They're heavily toasted but not charred, are put in the barrel, and it gives it another unique flavor. Now, what is interesting about the Maker's Mark bourbon They don't use rye as a secondary grain. We know that in order to be legally called bourbon in the United States, must be produced in the U.S., must be made from a grain mixture that is at least 51% corn. It also must be aged in new charred oak barrels. So Maker's Mark meets all those standards. The mash bill is 70% corn, but no barley. 16% red winter wheat, which smooths it down And 14% barley. So you get a little bit of that uh, scotchiness, if you will. But between that wheat and the barley, tames it down. Very, very nice. Not overly sweet, but very, very smooth. Let me say cheers. Wonderful aroma. Almost butterscotch on the the nose. Let me take a sip. Mm. I'm going to do the Kentucky Chew, which basically I swirl it around in my mouth, chew it a little bit. It's very pleasant. Much different taste than the regular Makers. Now, the regular Makers is great. Love the 46. The French staves make a huge difference. Fantastic. Lieutenants, my cigar is now lit. I have now enjoyed Makers 46 as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. Next hour, we'll be joined by Philip McDaniel, the co-founder and CEO of St. Augustine Distillery, talking about their unique operation in in, uh, St. Augustine, historic St. Augustine, oldest city in America, by the way. And we'll talk about their new Florida double-cast bourbon just released. When we come back, I will tell you about the enemies of pleasure and what they're trying to do to what the FDA has done in terms of being able to ship cigars to our men and women in the armed forces for just a little bit of a taste of home in the uh, war theater of operations. Outrage, what is going on? We'll tell you about that as we continue.
0: You need to add some alpha to your Facebook newsfeed by following the General. You'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars, info on the show each week, and see what the General is smoking. Click like at Facebook.com slash Cigar Dave.
2: This is Phil McDaniel, CEO of St. Augustine Distillery, inviting you to join us next hour as we talk about our brand new Florida double cast bourbon on the Cigar Dave Show.
1: Enjoy my Makers 46. Can't wait to get to that new double cast from St. Augustine. Now, part of the FDA anti-cigar legislation, which took effect number of months ago, and actually uh, early August, really when it took effect, August 8th, is that premium cigar makers who want to donate cigars cannot give away any free cigars. And this has come to attention over the last week or so here in Tampa and even nationwide because several of the Tampa cigar manufacturers and retailers, J.C. Newman Cigar being the manufacturer, Thompson Cigar being the online retailer, Every single month, donate thousands of cigars to our troops overseas. Well, they will not be allowed. They weren't as of August 8th, can't do it anymore. And U.S. Representative Kathy fidel Castor, taxocrat Tampa, who now has rediscovered the cigar industry after trying to screw it for so many years, uh, has said that this is the FDA legislation goes way too far and sent a letter to the chief operating officer of uh, Thompson Cigar, Alex Franzblau, saying that she was filing a bill to specifically address allowing charitable con- contributions of premium cigars to U.S. military members and nonprofit organizations that support them. So she introduced House Bill number 662, exempting premium cigars from those donation regulations, And it already has uh, 160, I think, uh, co-sponsors. Whether it gets anywhere in this session, who knows? The damage has already been done. Well, the Tampa Bay Times and many electronic media reported on this. And, of course, uh, the American Cancer Society, one of their enemies of pleasure, took uh, really – went off and said that cigars can be just as deadly as other tobacco products and donations, and however well-meaning could encourage non-smokers to pick up the habit. And that's according to Katie McMahon, a policy expert for the American Cancer Society's Cancer Action Network. Uh, Policy expert, I say she's an enemy of pleasure, pain in the ass. And she says, quote, We believe we should be protecting the health and well-being of our military just as they're protecting our country. We? Excuse me, Katie. We are not putting our asses on the line in Afghanistan and Iraq or any other hot spots in the world. We are not putting our life or limb on the line. The members of our armed forces are doing that. So who the hell do you think we are? I'm not part of you, honey, I can tell you that, or your Cancer Action Network. You want to talk about... about? Research, fine, but let's not make this about cigars and our troops. They serve, they do more in one millisecond than you will do in your life to support this country. So don't give me this we believe in, who the hell are you? You're not on the front line. And by gosh, if our military members, the two things they request most, coffee and cigars. And if we can give them that, and the cigar manufacturers, and and the cigar online retailers, and others, and individuals, that's the least we can do. Well, Daniel Ruth, who is a well-known columnist in the Tampa Bay area, where we originate from, longtime friend, used to do a show before me on 970 WFLA for many years. And we disagree politically on many things, but I, I certainly enjoy reading Dan's column, and he's a great guy. So here's what he said in his column. I'm going to read some excerpts. Let troops smoke cigars. For the sake of argument, let's assume you're a soldier fighting in Iraq or Afghanistan, and after a hard day of having really bad people trying to kill you, you make it back to the base in one piece. It would be nice to be able to chill out for a few hours before your next patrol when more bad people will try to kill you again. Perhaps you'd like to enjoy the simple pleasure of a stogie that has been sent to you courtesy of Tampa's J.C. Newman Cigar Company or maybe the Thompson Cigar Company. In a war zone, modest comforts are hard to find, and after a long day putting one's life on the line, a brief respite to puff on a panatella hardly seems an excessive perk of the job fending off al-Qaeda, ISIS, and Hezbollah. Alas, on this one minor point... It would seem our fighting men and women have another rear guard foe to tangle with worry wart bureaucrats. And he talks about the Tobacco Control Act forbidding the charitable distribution of tobacco products, including cigars. And he says it's doubtful a 10 year old would appreciate the charms of a well crafted Monte Cristo number 34 Robusto. And he talks about Castor, uh, uh, Representative Castor, introducing a House bill on that. So, He says Casters already lined up at least 165 co-sponsors to what we would call the Cigar Liberation Act. Expects the measure to quickly be approved this fall. Ah, if only all legislation could proceed as smoothly as the giving the raspberry to the Cigar Fuddy Duddies Act. Of course, there's always going to be naysayers like the American Cancer Society's Action Network's policy wonk, Katie McMahon, who told one of our reporters that she still opposed sending a few well-rolled sticks of smokes to the troops. And again, he quotes that we believe we should be protecting the health and well-being of our military just as they're protecting the country. McMahon sniffed, he says, protecting the health and well-being? Really? Members of our military are consigned to various rat holes in Iraq and Afghanistan. They have to contend with poisonous spiders and snakes. They run the very risk of getting shot or blown up by an improvised explosive device. They might come home in a body bag or sustain a horrific debilitating injury. They could well experience a lifetime of post-traumatic stress disorder. These troops are operating in one of the most dangerous environments on the face of the planet. And McMahon is wringing her hands over the health and well-being consequences of smoking a cigar? There's no question the American Cancer Society does wonderful work. But getting all huffy over American troops in a combat zone, engaging in the modest pleasure of a cigar, would seem to be a busybody too far. McMahon needs to lighten up or maybe light up. Perhaps J.C. Newman could send her a lovely Cuesta Centrafino starter kit. I think J.C. Newman would need to send her something that's got batteries that power it. Now, she responded, sent a letter to the editor. This Daniel Ruth column ignored an important public health reality. Since WW1, the tobacco industry has gone to great lengths to addict entire generations of our servicemen and women to their lethal products. The industry largely, largely succeeded throughout the 20th century and the result was a growing cancer burden among Americans. In fact, My grandfather came back from World War II, addicted to cigars, and died of lung cancer before my birthday. This was not an act of charity. It was a well-thought-out marketing campaign to ensure the industry's customer base continues to grow. Are you kidding? Then she quotes some nonsensical cancer rates, which are made up and not true. She says... That Daniel Ruth attempts to validate the obvious marketing efforts of Thompson Cigar under the guise of charity. The company is only continuing a long-standing practice of using our troops as pawns to avoid common-sense regulation of their products, which have been proven deadly for decades. This woman knows nothing about the Franz Bau family at Thompson Cigar or the Newmans at J.C. Newman. She is making a... This is so preposterous, it's absurd. This woman was disrespectful to two of the most respected families, not only in the cigar industry, but in Tampa. Shame on you, Katie McMahon. You are a disgrace. Our number two of The Cigar Dave Show is next.
0: The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the General...
1: The enemies of pleasure will not interfere this hour with our celebration and enjoyment of Bourbon Heritage Month. We will be discussing one of the great new craft distilleries. Actually, opened about three years ago, but making big inroads and great accolades. I'm talking about the St. Augustine Distillery, and they have just released their Florida double-cast bourbon, which we will discuss today. So, no enemies of pleasure. We'll enjoy our cigars. We'll enjoy our spirits And to those members of the cigar industry that want to keep donating cigars to the troops, they are honorable people, and we will defend them until high noon. That I can guarantee you. So now, let's pick up our conversation with Phil McDaniel, the co-founder and CEO of St. Augustine Distillery in America's oldest city. A number of months ago, I had the privilege and absolute delight to fly up to St. Augustine for a day of tourism-related maneuvers, and one of the stops that I absolutely had to make was the St. Augustine Distillery, not far from the historic section of St. Augustine. And it's my pleasure to welcome Philip McDaniel, the CEO and one of the founders of St. Augustine Distillery, as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. Philip we have, uh, a, I've got in front of me a magnificent bottle of the brand new St. Augustine, Florida double cask bourbon that I cannot wait to get my hands on. But before we get into that, some great history behind St. Augustine Distillery and where the distillery is located.
2: Sure. Uh, you know, the the history of the of the building and the history of the project is, uh, you know, it's kind of tied together. Um, St. Augustine, is, as you probably know, and many of your listeners do, is a... Uh, a claim to be the nation's oldest city. It was founded uh, 450 years ago last year um, uh, by, by the Spanish, and uh, it, is, it has uh, survived many amazing chapters in its, in its uh, American history. And, and for us, our journey began about five years ago when we were uh, wanting to bring uh, the art of craft distilling to Florida um, You know, in a real way. There were a handful of people in the state at that time doing it. And um, a good friend of mine, uh, Charles Cox, who owns San Sebastian Winery and Lake Ridge wineries, um, you know, and I had been kicking the idea around for a while. And he said, if you could find a beautiful building where it would be large enough to host tours, you know, and have it be in the historic district uh, and ideally on the, you know, the routes where the trains roll, um, he said, you, you might have a, a good foundation. And so um, we looked and we, uh, we kept coming back to the ice plan. It was just a spectacular building. It was built in 1917, uh, and in fact, at that time, it was an attachment. It was in addition to the first commercial power plant uh, that we know of in Florida that was built in 1905. And uh, so they were burning coal on the south side of our building, what's now our parking lot. Uh, there was this giant. Uh, if you saw the, took the tour and saw the, uh, the actual building, there were uh, there was a huge um, coal-fired direct uh, current power plant to, to the south of us. And they actually would then, you know, pump and and feed electricity into the ice plant. And they actually made the first commercial block ice in Florida in 1917 in our building. And um, we feel incredibly privileged to be um, the group who were able to get the building, save it from being torn down because that was a real threat from development. And we've converted into, uh, you know, a a very cool and and, uh, what we think is we're so proud to be our home. But it's now making uh, some of the first commercial bourbon. We think it's the first bourbon to go into barrel anyway, uh, in the state of Florida. And, uh, we're, we're super, super stoked to about what we're bringing to the state.
1: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the ice, uh, the ice factory, because people forget that in 1917, they didn't have freezers with automatic ice makers. (laughs) <laughs> they actually had to go buy these giant blocks of ice, and that's Absolutely. why they called it an ice box. So you know we take it for granted today, and people say, "Oh, an ice factory? What to make like ice that you can you can use at parties?" That right. wasn't the case. That was actually ice blocks to keep food cold. And so we take it for granted today. But it is it is wonderful that that building, which had so much history, has mm-hmm. been able to be not only saved but to be uh, to be a, a thriving tourist destination right now.
2: The distillery you know, has now become the number one ranked attraction on TripAdvisor in in a short two years in St. Augustine. I think we're one of, if we're not the, we're one of the most visited craft distilleries in America. We'll host this year about 150,000 visitors. Um, By comparison, Buffalo Trace last year had about 140.
1: Phil McDaniel, the CEO and founder of St. Augustine Distillery, our guest uh, as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. And Phil, I I have to mention that you, you said that, that you wanted to make sure that the building could be a stop with all the trolleys, the tourist mm-hmm. trolleys. But I will tell you that besides Castillo de San Marcos, which is the 17th century, very well-known fort that lies right on the Atlantic Ocean, there's no question that St. Augustine Distillery has got to be right up there. And even if the Tourist trolleys weren't going to St. Augustine Distillery or the Ice Factory. I guarantee you they are now because there's a ton of tourists uh, heading your way. And I should also mention that as I was walking from the historic uh, uh, area of St. Augustine over to the distillery, I passed by an old cigar factory called the Sola Carcaba Cigar Factory with some Mm -hmm. great history there as well, dating back to the 1830s. So it's Mm -hmm. just St. Augustine is just loaded with history, and when you take the tour— You can really see, I mean, everything is done professionally from the museum area to how everything is laid out in the distillery. And just looking around, my first impression was this is a huge facility for a craft distillery. This isn't, you know, a 2,000-square-foot storefront somewhere or warehouse space. This is a major, major undertaking. And so clearly you did something that many people would probably shy away from because it was so capital-intensive, but the results, clearly spectacular. When you first, when the distillery was finished, what was the first spirit that you distilled at St. Augustine Distillery?
2: It was bourbon. Um, And so the very first spirit to come off the still uh, was on December 15th in 2013. That was uh, shortly after we had our systems up and running. We were very lucky to have uh, Dave Pickerel, who is the master distillery maker's mark. And as you probably know, very involved in Whistlepig and a number of other great brands. Uh, Dave was our primary consultant and the, uh, the founding distiller he helped introduce me to our uh, director of production for the first two years a guy named Brendan Wheatley who, who, who just moved on to a new project. We intended to be a bourbon house and you know the challenge to um, you know to being a bourbon company is that uh, you know you have to make it today and then you have to wait you know anywhere from two three four years until the product's ready and we, we didn't want to release anything that we wouldn't be proud of or something that we wouldn't want to drink ourselves. And um and so we had to make a decision as to, you know, how we were gonna do it. It's a decision that all craft distillers, you know, face today. You know, many, many people, you know, are, are making a moonshine or they're making a white dog. You know, some are in fact, you know, merchant bottling where they'll actually go buy product at L D I or M G P and then rebottle it, um and kind of, you know, say, Hey, this is what we're doing now while we make the others and then, you know, the other thing is uh, is to make a, a clear spirit and so we Uh, We decided to just start laying down as much whiskey as we could every week. And then at the same time, between the cracks, we decided to make uh, vodka, which we did for the first six months. And then we spent several months researching and developing a gin, uh, which was just voted. I think we were just voted the best uh, craft gin distillery in America today by uh, USA Today. So we wanted to do everything that was, you know, that was going to be a quality first
1: Uh, Phil McDaniel, the CEO and founder, co-founder of St. Augustine Distillery, our guest celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned talking about bootstrapping. Uh, I was up in Maine uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I had the opportunity to visit with Maine Craft Distilling, Mm -hmm. and they actually built their own Still, because they mm-hmm. said, Look, for us to go out and buy one of these things, you know, we were limited on funds, and so they call it Frankenstill, but it's incredible. <laughs> and actually, right. w- if you go to our website, you can see the pictures. But right, uh, you know, they're making great spirits, and there's no right way, there's no wrong way. But the one thing I think you hit on is that, at, and every ma- craft distiller I've talked to you said the same thing you got to have a passion for it, you got to be willing to work and that you're reinvesting your profits back into the company. Because, as you mentioned, you started distilling bourbon. That's going to sit. That's going to take one year, two years, three years, four years, depending on how long you want to age that, until you start (laughs) seeing the revenue. So in the interim, you start making some other spirits. And one of the common denominators of all your spirits at St. Augustine Distillery is that you prefer to use regionally or locally sourced uh, raw materials, such as corn from Florida or wheat from Florida. And I know uh, Adam, Adam Putnam, the uh, Agricultural committee Commissioner, very well, and yep. I'm sure Adam is thrilled that all the great agricultural products grown here in the state of Florida are being used uh, to such great great good use. You're
2: exactly right. I, I first met Adam about uh, four years ago when we were under construction. He was actually speaking at Flagler College, and I pulled him aside and said, you know, Commissioner, uh, we're getting ready to do this distillery. We're gonna be using local corn, local wheat and other ag would you come in, and check it out. And um, and he came over and saw the vision and he said, man, this is exactly the kind of business that we need because we want to value add, you know, to our agriculture. And if we can help farmers grow additional crops, pay them a slight premium for that agriculture, because we can convert, you know, a corn or a, a wheat into, you know, a fifty dollar bottle of bourbon that's well worth it. Uh, that everybody can make money on that's good for everyone and and uh, adam as uh, has been to the facility uh, multiple times he was here i think last year he rolled through during the I think the Georgia Florida game, and uh, and he's been he's been a big fan. So I, I I can if I can find it, I'll send you this fabulous picture of Adam in the facility when it was still under construction. There was five of us. We sat together. It's a great picture.
1: And Adam is uh, it's amazing when you hear how much uh, of the importance of agriculture to Florida people don't realize. And certainly you're capitalizing on that because. In many, actually most all of your, your distilled spirits, whether it is the cane vodka or the gin or now the bourbon, you're using uh, crops that are grown here in the state of Florida. Now, before the bourbon, or after I should say the bourbon, you did vodka mm-hmm. for, uh, you said, about six months, and then what came next? Was it the gin or was it the rum? It
2: was gin. And the reason it was gin was because we wanted nobody at that time. And I still not sure if anybody's making a gin in Florida on a craft basis. But we we saw an opportunity. We kind of saw the trend. Our, Our focus has been on craft cocktails you know well-made drinks Um, there's this whole movement that's been happening in the country in the last five to ten years about people going back to the way cocktails used to be made you know with really good spirits fresh juices fresh ingredients and now there's you know great craft cocktail bars in every city and we we thought that one way to get the word out about our company and about the products we were making is if we could you know partner with um, many of these you know sort of uh, you know upscale bartenders and mixologists. and so we talked to them and they said, hey, man, if you could make a really great gin that was kind of evocative of Florida uh, that we could showcase, that would be great. So we did a lot of research on gin and we saw that at that time there were really two kinds of gins being made. There was a classic London, you know, dry gin. And then in California, in Oregon, in, in Washington, on the West Coast, they were making a West Coast style gin. But there really wasn't anything sort of between there uh, and, and the UK. And so we said, well, what if we made a Florida style gin? And because, you know, Florida really was the new world, we'll call it new world gin. And, uh, and that's what we, we coined it. And we focused specifically on, uh, four different Florida, um, uh, citrus and we, you know, used the, obviously juniper, but we have, I think between 12 and 14 different botanicals, you know, in our gin, um, our director of production, Brendan, and uh zach lynch who's the head bartender at the ice plant next door spent a good three months in the lab uh reviewing distillates every day i mean they would taste three or four different distillates and it would blow their palates out and they'd have to wait till the next day and try it again but they kept going back in the lab and um, once they had what they thought they wanted then zach started shaking them in cocktails to see how it performed and uh, it turned out, of course, they actually had to add more juniper than they originally intended, and uh, they kept shaping it. But by the time, um, you know, it got done, it was a really, really uh, beautiful gin and makes some of the classic, you know, gin uh, gin cocktails. So we're really proud of it.
1: Much more coming your way as we continue our conversation with St. Augustine Distillery CEO and co-founder Phil McDaniel next on The Cigar Dave Show.
0: The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is an Alec Bradley sampler, including the Alec Bradley Sanctum. The Costa Rican binder has great body, while the Colombian tobaccos add to the aroma. Alec Bradley Sanctum uses fillers from Honduras and Nicaragua, creating a four-country blend that is as complex as it is unique. Not a member of the Officers Club? Get these premium cigars shipped directly to you every month by signing up today at CigarDave.com.
5: This difficult and challenging time when the government is trying to outlaw premium cigars and take away the art form of enjoying a beautiful cigar, we decided to introduce our brand called Prohibition. This cigar is going to be the bootleggers dream. A gorgeous cigar made in Esteli, Nicaragua, triple capped, using a broadleaf wrapper and a Mexican wrapper from the Sandringas San Valley. It's got Nicaraguan tobaccos from the Nicaraguan valleys of Esteli and Jalapa. It's rich. It's complex. It's got some spice, some white pepper, and a ton of sweetness. Full of flavor, this cigar is one that you're going to want to enjoy, and you're going to bootleg, and that's why it's called Prohibition. Enjoy it. I promise you're going to
1: love it. The brand-new Cigar Dave mobile app for both iPhone and Android devices, is finally out. If you go right now, either to the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store, search for Cigar Dave and download our brand-new app. It allows you to listen to the show live on your mobile device. You can listen to all of our podcasts. The last 10 podcasts are always available, Cigar Dave Daily Briefings. Additionally, it gives you direct access within the app to our Twitter page, our Facebook page. We also have the ability for you to call the show during the show right from the app as well as send me a text message and an email. We also put in a couple of bonus items. You can get a weather uh, uh, alert as well as an alarm clock. It is the brand new Cigar Dave mobile app. You can listen to the Cigar Dave show anytime, any place, anywhere. Go right now to the iTunes store or Google Play store and download the brand new Cigar Dave mobile app.
2: It's an exquisite day here at the Jensen
1: We're celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month on the Cigar Dave Show. Let's continue our conversation with St. Augustine Distillery CEO and co-founder Phil McDaniel. During my visit up uh, to St. Augustine and the St. Augustine Distillery, I went into the store afterward. The first thing I wanted to do, of course, was buy the bourbon. Mm -hmm. And they said, you're going to have to wait until September to November for that. And I Mm -hmm. said, okay. And they said, but we have vodka. I'm like, not a vodka drinker. They said, we've got gin. I said, I'll take a bottle of gin. And they Mm -hmm. said, we also have our pot distilled rum, which I also bought. Very, Mm -hmm. very good. Very, very unique. And you also have some specialty spirits that uh, you've just released. You've got the sweet red barrel aged gin, Mm -hmm. a sweet white barrel aged gin. Correct. Uh, Tell us about those very quickly.
2: I've been in New York about two and a half years ago, visiting one of our daughters up there. And, um, I had gone into, uh, you know, one of the, one of the great liquor stores up there and I saw, and they had a whole shelf of gin and, and I'm looking and I'm seeing a lot of barrel aged gin. I'm going, wow, that's really interesting. And kind of, these are distilleries again from the upstate New York and California and Oregon and Colorado where they're several years ahead. I went ahead and, uh, and looked at them. And what I found was that almost every one of those had been aged in a bourbon barrel I was like, that's kind of interesting, you know. And the thing I liked about it from a business standpoint is there were, you know, ten to fifteen dollars a bottle more, which I thought was pretty cool. I look at the uh, uh, label and it says aged three months. I'm like, well, it's not very long. We've got barrels. We should, we should try it. So I came back and talked to Zach and, and talked to Brendan, and we, you know, we thought about it. And uh, Brendan had some contacts in in uh, Northern California, and we found a winery. Uh, up there uh, after making a number of calls who was who had been making uh, both a sweet red and a uh, and a, and a uh, dry white vermouth but they had aged them in wooden casks and so we were able to get them to part with a couple of them so we actually got those uh, those vermouth barrels brought them back here um, they had just been you know freshly dumped so we brought them back in and, and we you know we put our gin in at, at a high proof I think 110 and we let it sit for uh, probably 6 months or so and it just came out spectacularly you know the 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 gin just absorbed both the flavor and the color of the of the re, of the red sweet uh, vermouth and then the same thing so basically we're making you know the first barrel aged martini which is kind of cool
1: and before we get to the Florida Double cast bourbon I want to briefly talk about the St Augustine distillery pot distilled rum. Rum's very, very good. Has a very unique flavor to it. Not overpowering. Very, very pleasant. Uh, and you use Florida sugar cane for your rum. Actually,
2: we used a combination of Florida molasses and then we used Georgia cane syrup. And for those of your guests who don't know what cane syrup is, cane syrup is a freshly pressed cane juice that is then boiled down to about a 10% solution and it becomes, you know, the counterpart to maple syrup. Um, and back in the day, you know, 100 years ago, cane, um, you know, cane syrup was kind of they only made it during uh, during the Christmas time. And so kids would, you know, pine forward. It was a it was a big, big deal back then. And we love the tradition and the heritage of that. And so we found a purveyor of the cane syrup and did a blend of Florida um, table grade molasses and uh, really, really like the flavor. And so we went ahead and. Um, you know, fermented that and then uh, distilled it and made some very, very light cuts to it, and it came out beautiful.
1: Well, the Saint Augustine distilled, uh, pot distilled rum is of the quality. I believe that you can put that in a nice snifter. Have it with your cigar. Or even just have it and kick back, and it's a nice sipping rum. You don't even have to mix it with anything. It stands by itself, so very, very pleasant. We'll continue our celebration of National Bourbon Heritage Month and our conversation with St. Augustine Distillery CEO and co-founder Phil McDaniel next on The Cigar Dave Show.
0: Download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Android, Kindle, and iOS so you can listen to The General anytime, anywhere. The Cigar Dave mobile app is presented by Diamond Crown. Search Cigar Dave in the App Store today.
6: Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight.
1: Enjoy the latest and greatest cigars shipped directly to you. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club now, and you'll receive three premium cigars every month. Membership is just $22.95, including shipping and handling. Join by going to CigarDave.com now. That's CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. Our guest is Phil McDaniel, the CEO and co-founder of St. Augustine Distillery. Now we have to get to the Mac Daddy, the Florida Double Cask Bourbon. Now, before we talk about the bourbon, I have to thank two people, Bob Drinan, who I know you know over at Breakthrough Beverage, and Dan O'Connor a Breakthrough Beverage here in Tampa, because when I called them and I said, I'm going to be talking with the CEO, having him on the show, i got to get a hold of a bottle of the St. Augustine double cask bourbon. They said, "General, give us a few minutes." They called me back. <laughs> they said, "We've got a bottle for you. We're awesome. going to put it to the front desk, but you got to get here because chances are if somebody sees this, they're going to yank it because it's that popular." So, I have a bottle in front of me. Now, before awesome. we go into talking about the specifics of the proof and and the mash bill and everything, just mm-hmm. looking at the bottle fill, it is magnificent because, first of all, the double cast bourbon has a beautiful caramel brown color, and there is a halogen type of or, or a, a cool effect that when you look at it has St. Augustine distillery printed on the top, then it has Flora double cast towards the bottom. But in the center, it's clear. But in the back of the bottle, there is a magnificent-looking, almost hologram of the distillery of the old ice factory and when you look at it through the bottle it gives you a 3d uh, hologram effect very very unique bottle very very cool very impressive
2: cool thanks um you know i I had three great pieces of advice from dave pickerel when i started this adventure about five years ago and he said philip if you're going to have any chance for success you need three things i said dave talk to me what are they and he said number one is you have to have good juice he said, number two, you have to have a good bottle. And number three, you have to have you know, a great story. And uh, we've tried at every level to remember that in everything that we do and, and be authentic and real. And, you know, the reason for our putting the building on the bottle is really to pay homage to our home. And so I thought, how cool would it be, particularly on our, you know, on our um, you know, f- f- flagship, whatever, you know, you want to call the, the bourbon kind of the Mac Daddy. I love that. Uh, You know, if we if we could put our building on there, because at some point, most of the people who are currently buying our products are people who have visited the distillery like you. And, And again, thank you for coming. You know, but there are going to be those people away from the building who, you know, will have heard of the who would have heard of the company, seen and tasted the product and then have an opportunity perhaps through the bottle to say, hey, that's a cool place. What's that? And then ultimately, maybe that would be. You know, an invitation or a call for people to come and experience the distillery firsthand.
1: You are responsible in St. Augustine Distillery for changing the Florida laws for craft distilleries, because at one point you could not sell your own product out of your factory. You actually had to sell to the distributor and then I think set up a separate store, but you made the trek to the, the pilgrimage to Tallahassee, not that far from St. Augustine. And the one thing I will say about the Florida legislators, because I've dealt with them and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and very active on, on the board of the Florida association of broadcasters is that Mm -hmm. in Tallahassee we get things done in the state legislature, and it's very different than I think on the federal level because you actually uh, are dealing with people that are your neighbors, people that are from the same state. They share many of the same the same regional uh, values and the same type of of uh, they, they they understand the state and how things work. Many people are not just lawyers; they're business people, they're farmers, they're distillers, they're yep. they're uh, physicians. And you have the opportunity to almost socialize with them when you get to Tallahassee, meet with them one-on-one in a very uh, casual setting, and you were able to get that change. So now anybody visiting your distillery or any craft distillery in the state of Florida can purchase two bottles per person, per brand, per year, correct?
2: That's yeah, exactly right. It's, I'm, I'm glad you raised that. That was something that we were not as familiar of, with going into it as as we should have um and um when we started the business you know the winery was right around the corner from us and they they could sell you know cases of wine and they have a, a live you know wine bar on Thursday and Friday and Saturday nights. So we're like, great, we'll do the same thing. So we're kind of loping along and think oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have a bar. We're going to be able to sell cases. And our lawyers were like, nope, you can't do that. And I said, wait, what do you mean? This is America. What are you talking about? And he said, well, there's still some old laws on the book that date back to prohibition. And, and uh, yeah, they, they, you can't, you can't even, you have to sell everything through a distributor. And we're like, What's a distributor? And so it it opened up a uh, it opened up our eyes to, uh, you know, the 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 distribution systems in the state. Um, And we we ultimately formed the Florida Distillers Guild. I was the president for the first three years and um, was fortunate enough to have a great legislator and uh, uh, John Thrasher, who is now the president, obviously, of Florida State. Uh, and at that time, a number of legislators around the state who recognized the opportunity, Adam Putnam, frankly, was one from the beginning who helped say, hey, this is a good thing. You know, you know, these, these laws were put in place 85 years ago and they served a purpose then, um, you know, but is it still necessarily appropriate today? So we've we've had a lot of conversation, you know, with legislators, both in the Senate and the House uh, the governor has been to uh, to our building now twice, and um, most of the leadership has been, and they, they understand that if Florida is going to compete Nationally, uh, we need to allow our businesses to have the same uh, rights and liberties and profitability, frankly, uh, as those in Colorado and New York.
1: Phil McDaniel, the CEO founder of St. Augustine Distillery, is our guest. We are celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month. So let's talk about the Florida double Cask bourbon from St. Augustine distillery. Phil, you said that the initial distillation went into the barrels. December 15th, 2013. Let's talk about the mash bill uh, that is in the double cast bourbon.
6: That's
2: a a great place to start. Uh, When we decided to make bourbon, um, I wanted to have something that was going to be very approachable. Um, You've been, Dave, to the facility. You kind of experienced it, and you recognize that we get a broad range of of the public who walks through our building every day. Um, And I wanted something that people could really enjoy and something that was going to be very smooth and easy to drink. And so at that time, Makers was one of my personal favorites, and I really loved that spirit. Um, and at the same time, I had just been turned on to a, um, a malted barley, 100% malted barley coming out of Colorado called Stranahan's. And at the time, Stranahan's was, you know, the number one ranked, you know, craft whiskey, you know, in America. Um, and the head distiller there, Jake Norris, was winning all kinds of awards. make a long story short, I reached out to Jake. He had just transitioned away from Stranahan's and uh, was available to help us put our recipe together. So four and a half years ago, I flew out to Denver. Um, we uh, used a distillery that he had access to, and he actually made our mash bill. Um, and I, my challenge to him was I said, look, I want something between makers and hands that was going to be very approachable. And uh, and so the mash bill is a 60% corn, uh, 22% barley, and 18% red winter wheat. And so it's a really sweet um you know, very drinkable. It's got some great chocolate coconuts. You'll, you'll see it, um, you know, in a
1: minute. And, you know, looking at the Maker's 46 bottle, and I love Maker's 46 myself, I can see some similarities, some some distant uh, relative uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the bottle. Very just some of the, the rounded of the top and uh, just some of the look. And I'll tell you what, Maker's 46, like you say, is an excellent spirit. There's no question about it. And it's approachable, and I think that's very important. Now, one mm-hmm. thing I did notice, uh, mm-hmm. because I'm looking at the neck collar that mm-hmm. the double cast bourbon uh, has upon it right. and it shows the proof of 93.8 i don't think i've mm-hmm. ever seen a a proof with the decimal before
2: well let me tell you how we got there it was a very interesting journey this whole thing has been incredible our director of production brendan about uh three months ago uh, had taken another position this is probably about 90 60 days before we were going to really start blending and pulling the product out of barrels and we were like oop what do we do now? And so I called, um, Dave Pickerel, uh, up and I said, pick, I, I need a favor. And he said, I'll be happy to come down and, and, help, you know, teach you and, and, and your staff to, you know, what, how to, how to barrel select, you know, when to pull it out, when it's ready and how to do all that. And so in the course of it, obviously we had to pick what the proof was going to be. And I said, Dave, what's your thinking? And he said, well, very simply, um, for he said alcohol's purpose is really to deliver flavor at the, at the end of the day in, in David's position. And he said, therefore, for every spirit, there's a perfect proof. And he said, the way uh, I said, well, what would you do? How would you guide us there? And he said, well, I'd like to you know, get a panel of four or five people. And it was myself and Dave and our two head distillers and Michael, who's our, our other co-founder. And we sat down for about four hours. And he said, I'd like to, you know, he said, what do you think the proof range should be? And I said, well, I certainly don't want it any less than 90. And I don't want it any higher than 102 he asked uh, Lucas Smith, who's our, our current director of production, a wonderful young man uh, who's leading our production now, and we proofed uh, the spirit. Uh, we put it into a barrel at, I think, one, the 25-gallon the, the barrels went in at 125, and then the, uh, the larger barrels went in at 110, and some of those were combined. So I, I think the combined proof was about 118 when it was coming out of the barrel. So he said, let's proof it down from 90, to get another glass with 92 93 94 so we had 12 different stations if you will with a different proof and dave said uh, i'm going to give each of you the choice you can pick two but they have to be next to one another we did that and we we all kind of like that 94 to 95 range for the spirit and then he said, all right now we're going to do it again only now we'll go from 93 to 96 and we did it again and he created a range of about a dozen and we kept zooming in if you can imagine and we all just kept liking that range between that 90 uh, three five and 94 and what was amazing was that when we finally got down to the lasso we all agreed on that 93.8 there was something about the flavor the nose the mouthfeel that just felt right at 93 eight. and it was unanimous and uh it was really a spectacular process it took us almost almost a day
1: now let's talk about the double cask aspect of the <laughs> sure. bourbon because initially you used 25 gallon barrels, then you went up to the 53 gallon barrels, which are the larger normal barrel, but the barrels that most people would see at, uh, if they went to you know, most distillers. Sure. Uh, but why did you start with the smaller 25 gallons initially?
2: Well, actually, the first 30 barrels that we laid down were all 53s. And so we knew we expected that those were going to, you know, take between, you know, four to we thought those would go between three and a half and five years. We just felt that that was that was about the right number. And and then we said, you know, let's just see. It'd be nice to see, you know, what nobody's made bourbon on this. I I think there may have been one or two other smaller guys who have dabbled, but nobody's made bourbon on this scale ever in Florida. And so we said, well, let's try some half casks. And Dave said, I wouldn't do anything smaller than 25, particularly when you get down to a 15 and a 10 size gallon barrel. You often run the risk of, you know, over oaking and, uh, you know, too much wood. And and it's just it's 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 not very efficient. Um, And so he said, let's go for a half cast. So we we bought some 25 gallon barrels and, and 53s at the same time and uh, we experimented with woods from different parts of the country from missouri minnesota kentucky we have five different chart profiles so we we have this whole matrix uh, but we wanted to see you know what the florida heat would do to a 53 versus a 25 and we thought the 25s would go about two years two and a half and maybe we could blend the 25s and the 53 and do it. and what we found dave was after you know one full summer cycle we were pulling samples every three months and we were watching how aggressively You know, the year-round heat was impacting the spirit, and um, we were surprised to see how much wood and how much oak was coming out. The colors, you can see it in the bottle, is spectacular. And what we learned was that, you know, and we have a a phrase in our, uh, two phrases in our distillery. One is that our barrels never sleep, they never rest, because they're constantly working because of the Florida heat. Uh, and the second thing is it ages in dog years uh, because our our barrels are, are, are extracting the wood so quickly. So we were getting that color and that extraction super fast, but we wanted to allow the spirit more time uh, for the oxidation process to happen and the reaction and have those esters and those fruity notes created. And so, um, you know, in midstream, after about a year and a half, for, specifically for the 25s, we had a big batch of them. We said, hey, you know what? let's go ahead and see and let's get some you know quality used second barrels from makers and and uh, and woodford let's bring them down and we will then dump the contents of our 25s out of those new oak casks into the second use barrels that had already had the wood and the color extracted out of them and that will allow the spirit another period of time anywhere from 8 to 14 months in some cases to continue to age and get these get the esters and build the fruit notes but not have to worry about over oaking and uh, and that's why we ultimately decided to name the product double cask was because it's exactly what had happened the spirit actually sat in two separate barrels
1: much more coming your way as we continue our conversation with saint augustine distillery ceo and co-founder phil mcdaniel next on the cigar dave show
0: The September selection for the Cigar Dave Officers Club is an Alec Bradley sampler, including the Alec Bradley Black Market, a powerful Nicaraguan wrapper and flavorful Sumatran binder wraps around fillers from Honduras and Panama. The Alec Bradley Black Market is a medium to full-bodied smoke that doesn't disappoint. It's easy to join the Officers Club to have these cigars shipped directly to you. Just log on to CigarDave.com.
1: In the fertile fields of the Connecticut River Valley, there is still one cigar brand who grows their own Connecticut shade wrappers, Monte Cristo. Prized for its unique silky texture, this exquisite tobacco has now been used to craft a cigar worthy of
0: its name, the Monte Cristo White Vintage Connecticut. Building on the legacy of the beloved Monte Cristo White series, this excellent medium to full-bodied cigar is rich,
1: flavorful, and complex. Crafted with only the finest vintage 2008 wrapper leaves, the Monte Cristo White Vintage Connecticut cigar has subtle notes of spices, vanilla, and hazelnuts. Packaged in a gorgeous handcrafted box, these exceptional cigars are available now at your local tobacconist. Pick up a Monte Cristo White Vintage today and experience the spirit of the valley.
0: Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause cancers of the mouth and throat, even if you do not inhale.
1: We're celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month on the Cigar Dave Show. Let's continue our conversation with St. Augustine Distillery CEO and co-founder Phil McDaniel. All right. Well, I've got the St. Augustine Distillery Florida Double Cast Bourbon in my hand, and we've been talking about it. I've been looking at it. I'm salivating now, so (laughs) I'm going to open up this beautiful bottle, and we have pictures that we have posted. Let me get rid of the protective plastic film on the very top of the cap. I'm going to open this up. Wow, the aroma is incredible. Not overpowering, but very, very pleasant notes of almost like a almost like a little maple-y type of aroma. Let mm-hmm. me pour this in the glass here. And what I'm looking at, this definitely is has a beautiful brownish, caramel-colored uh, brown hue to it. Very, very nice nice viscosity to it. Just swirling it in the glass here. Wow, incredible aroma on the uh, on the nose. Mm. All right, without any further delay, Philip, I'm going to say cheers.
2: Cheers, I got one with
1: you. All right, let me take a sip here. I cannot wait. Wow. Nice warmth on the way down. Nice notes towards the back of the palate, back of the tongue. Definitely some citrus notes to me.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Almost a little bit of... um, a little bit of a spice, but very, very nice. Very pleasant. Not a lot of bite. Definitely warmth, but not overpowering. Very, very nice. I mean, considering this is between, what did you say, probably 16 to 24 months on average in the barrels?
2: In Well, there's 16 months in the new barrel, and then in the second barrel, it's there anywhere from, you know, 10 to 14 months. So on average, the spirit's been in wood for at least two to two and a half years.
1: Yeah, this is magnificent. Worth the wait. No question about it. How many bottles of the St. Augustine Distillery Florida Double Cask is being released on the first run here?
2: Well, the first release, we had 4,500 bottles uh, out, and that was uh, in our gift shop, and those um, sold out in... uh, That was our allotment for September, and uh, those sold out in about three days, and then... um, the balance now we've, we've just shipped to break through, um, I think 300 cases. So there's another 1800 bottles that's out in the community. We've got a little bit left in our October allotment. We actually advanced that to September to satisfy, uh, the initial demand. So we'll be, uh, we'll be out of stock at the distillery probably in about 10 days. And then we'll, uh, we'll go ahead at that point in the end of, in the end of October, early November, we'll be able to release, um, you know, some additional spirits. So, Um, it's not a lot. I mean, we, and I tell people we probably make as much in a year as, you know, makers will make in a four hour shift.
1: So about 6,500 bottles on this first release.
2: Correct. I personally like it, you know, uh, I, the two, two fingers basically in one ice cube, uh, and just let that ice melt. And if you get a chance, you know, take just a small amount of ice and, you know, put it in your, uh, put it in your Glencairn glass for 20 seconds and then, uh, and then try it. It completely opens it up and it's a, Very very easy sipping, uh, you know, bourbon.
1: Well, I'm going to try that uh, because I do have my Glencairn glass. That's always what I test uh, various whiskeys in, and I'm Mm going to take one of my ice balls and just stick it right in there. About 20 seconds, put a splash on top of it, and I'm sure that'll uh, impart a very unique uh, flavor and a nice balance, nice mixture. But just straight up, just neat. Very, very nice. Not overpowering in any Thank way, you. shape, or form. And Phil, just lastly, sure. so the the double cask bourbon will be available on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, starting probably the after the first of the year. Yeah,
2: start. I would say during the first uh, first two or three weeks of January will be will be you know much more broadly distributed. Uh, we are carried by a Breakthrough, as you so kindly mentioned earlier. Um, those guys have done a fabulous job. We're in um, almost all of the ABCs totals. Uh, Publix, uh, Winn-Dixies, and, and many of the independent you know package stores.
1: Well, and we've got a nationwide and international audience. So for those of you, those are retailers that are in the state of Florida. So you'll have to come down to the Sunshine State. And it's not a bad time to come down here between November, usually in about March or April. And when you do, the St. Augustine Distillery, not far from Jacksonville at all. It's a very, very uh, quick drive, not far from Orlando as well. It is definitely worth the time. St. Augustine is a very quaint, very historic city and you will find these uh, St. Augustine Distillery to be well worth your time, not only from an from a, uh, a- a- informational point of view, but certainly from a pleasurable and tasting point of view. So, Phil McDaniel, the CEO, co-founder of St. Augustine Distillery, it has been a delight to have you on. Next time I'm up in St. Augustine, I will call you, and we will have a, uh, a sip of the or a glass of the double-cast bourbon together right at the distillery.
2: Well, we can do that, and I'll also turn you on to some of our port finish that we've got in barrel now. We partnered with the uh, San Sebastian Winery right around the corner from us, and they make a spectacular port wine. And so in November or December, we're going to have a very limited release of that uh, port, uh, port, bourbon, uh, port finish bourbon, and it's going to be even better. So uh, please come back, and it would be my honor to pour you a glass.
1: I will most certainly take Phil up on his offer. Can't get enough of this Florida double-cast bourbon from St. Augustine Distillery. And I should also tell you that because the interview was so in-depth earlier this morning, we had to edit it for time, but fear not, the entire interview is posted at CigarDave.com as well as our mobile app. Be sure to take a listen. Let me say <coughs> cheers to you all. Cigar Dave, the general saying, may your humidor always be full. Mayor cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Next week. Our National Bourbon Heritage Month Tasting Panel with Sommelier Dave. will post all the selections at CigarDave.com earlier in the week. Long live the Alpha and make America great again.